Blog Talk Radio. Bill Irwin, I think he's got a little more years in the business. We'll start with him. 
How did you Easy first... there, big fella. Uh, Easy. It's, it's a good <laughs> thing to have longevity, but how did you get started with world class? Oh, uh, well, I think it was, uh, long story short, uh, my brother knew Gary Hart from out in Atlanta or out where he was, and I would ha- I was up in Calgary with, uh, oh, God. Oh. Are you there? Yeah. Yes. Can you, can you guys hear me? I keep getting this unmuted thing on my phone here. I don't know what that is. No, we can hear you. Oh, okay. Well, I was up in Calgary with, uh, uh, God, now I can't remember his name. Been hit in the head with too many chairs. Anyway, uh, Scott got me in, in touch with Gary Hart, and Gary Hart brought me down to Dallas, and I, I believe it was 1980. Maybe it was late 79, but it was 80. And uh, that's when we start. I started there and, you know, just went in there and, you know, started doing my thing, I guess. And uh, evidently, I think, I don't know, I guess Fritz must have liked my style or something, and uh, I think Bronco Lubich gave me the name of Wild Bill as he said I was wild in the ring or something. I don't know. That's 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 as much as I know how I got started there. So, David Manning, how about you? I know that you have been there for a very very long time with a variety of roles. What first led you to world class? Uh, well, it was crazy. I was uh, uh, coaching uh, after you know I re- I wrestled from the time I was about six amateur wise, and I was coaching a. Uh, uh, at the Y, and I was also coaching for the high school team. And uh, but the Y thing was a free thing. I was giving back, and uh, we were wrestling a tournament up in uh, Denton uh, at the college. And uh, one of my boys uh, beat this other kid who had some potential, was just doing some things wrong. And I started showing him after the match how to do a switch and a couple other things, and really didn't think anything about it. And uh, Later on that day, I went to the concession stand, and I went to buy something, and uh, they were like, oh, no charge. And I was like, oh, coaches get free, huh? And she said, no. But Fritz Feinert said if you wanted anything, it, it was on his tab. And I was a big wrestling fan, so I was like, oh, my God, Fritz Feinert's here. And they were like, no, but he was here. So a few weeks later, we go uh, forward. I get a call from another wrestling coach saying that Jack Atkinson was trying to reach me, and I'm like, who's Jack Atkinson? And he's like, Fritz Von Erich. Uh, long story short, I get a call from Fritz, go up to Lake Dallas. Uh, he had been doing some due diligence and wanted me to coach the boys, but he was like, he started the conversation by saying, you remember the kid you helped up here at the college? And I was like, no. And he yells for Kerry. It turns out, uh, obviously he wasn't wrestling under the name of Kerry Von Eric. It was Kerry Atkinson, but um, that's who <laughs> that's who I'd lend a hand to that day. And I turned out, I was private coaching him and Dave and uh, – that led uh, Fritz one day saying, do I want a second? And a few months later, he said, hey, we're going to promote you as the youngest referee in history and uh, cut that beard, and you're going to do a match next week. And literally, I, I did my first match the same week that Kevin broke into the business. Uh, he, he wrestled a guy named Paul Pershman, and uh, uh, the rest is history. Wow. For the people that aren't necessarily familiar with Paul Pershman, uh, up here in our neck of the woods in the Pacific Northwest, Buddy Rose. Yep. <laughs> Buddy Rose, oh, my God. 
And uh, yeah. Mr. Colville, you were on here recently, and you had an interesting tale of how you got in. Could you refresh our memories? Well, David and Carrie tricked me into to being in the business. Uh, my dad had uh, had some motorcycle shops, and he used to bring the kids out to watch me race when I was racing for Kawasaki. And uh, as we got older, David and I uh, got closer, and he called me one day and said his car was broke. He said, "Can you take me to this?" To uh, it was Will Rogers from Channel Eleven. And I said, yeah, I, said, I can do that. And he said, well, and I had a couple of cars at the time. He said, bring that white Cadillac and uh, wear your coat, sport coat, and your cowboy hat and boots. And I'm going, what? What? He said, just do it. So I said, okay. Now, I hadn't been to any of the matches. We were friends, but we hung out in different places. I hadn't gone, so I didn't know what was going on. So we went to Will Rogers, pulled around back, and the fans went nuts. And uh, I said, I'll take your stuff in and just, you know, when you get through out here, come in. So I went in, waited. Uh, he finally came in, took his bags, told me to go upstairs where the families and, and things sat. And uh, I did. We came down, left, had a good day or night. He called me the next week, said, my car is still not running. Can you take me to, to Will Rogers again? And I said, yeah. He said, bring the Cadillac and the uh, coat and hat. And I'm going, why? He said, well, just because. And that's why he was dressing. So I thought, well, maybe that's what I had to do. So we, we got to the back. Everybody went nuts. I grabbed the bags, ran in, let him handle whatever he was going to handle. And this went on for three or four weeks. <clears throat> and uh, one day one of the ushers came up and said, the boys want you downstairs carrying David and so I went downstairs, and David stuck his head out the door and started laughing and cut it or closed the door. Carrie did the same thing, and about that time the music started. They both came out and said, walk with us a little way. And there was a curtain coming out of there before you got to the ring so we could go through there. David said, how's your knee, which I had had knee surgery. And I said, it's, it's doing good. Carrie said, do you think you can run? I said, yeah, I, I could run if I had to. And uh, they said, good. And about the time the music hit, which we know now was where they hit the ring, they said, good, push us to, or get us to the ring. And they pushed me through the curtain. And the fans went nuts. And I had to fight our way to get to the ring. And I, I just, I got there, got them in, turned around and left. And I was ticked that, that they did that. And I chewed on them all the way home, David. And Fritz called me the next day. And he said, you've got 15 minutes to get to the house. I said, I'll be there in 10. Because I knew what he wanted. And we had become really good friends. He was kind of, you know, he called me a seventh son and that type thing. So I got to the house, and everybody was in the kitchen. David and Carrie were in the corner, not looking at me, trying not to laugh. And Fritz looked at me, and he said, what were you thinking last night, running to the ring? I said, I was thinking how I was going to get back, and I pointed at the boys, and I was, I was going to kick their butts. And Fritz looked at the boys and said, he didn't want to be there, and they're shaking their heads. No, he didn't. And he said, you really didn't want to be part of this. And I said, no, I didn't want to be part of it. And he looked at the boys again. He said, is he telling the truth? And they're laughing, and they shake their head. Yeah, he's telling the truth. And Fritz looked at me, and he said, okay, you start next Monday. And he turned around and walked off. And that's how I got into business. 
That's a beautiful story. Uh, Mr. Beard, what about you? How did you first get into world class? Oh, we got James Beard with us. Did we lose James? <laughs> he was. Oh, we must have lost him. Okay. Uh-oh. Well, um, one of He'll the other, hopefully he will, hopefully he will. Uh, one of the other questions I had for you all is world-class, when it was going strong, was able to market itself a little more than some other territories. The WWF was a marketing machine with merchandising, with T-shirts and hats and anything they could put a logo on. World Class had T-shirts and hats. They had a board game. There's rumors out there that they had offers to get some of the first wrestling action figures, but Fritz turned it down. But looking back on things, do you think World Class could have done more as far as merchandising itself and using merchandise to branch out of Dallas? And we'll start with Wild Bill. What do you think on the merchandising? Well, I I think that, yeah, uh, Fritz could have done a lot more with it, but from what I remember, or I remember hearing of the story was that, you know, Fritz was of the old school, and uh, that they got on that Christian network way back in, the, what was it, the 80s or something, when we started going kind of nationwide. But he was still to the point, the boys wanted to try and follow the tape and go nationwide following, uh, you know, that uh, show. But he wouldn't go. He was of the old school where you stayed in your area, you know, because there used to be territories all over the place, and nobody really went in, and you know, because it was local television stations, so you didn't see the other guys' shows. Uh, so he wouldn't go, as far as I knew. He wouldn't allow uh, the, uh, the the show to go outside of his territories. Well, you know, short of that, you know, you can sell to your people, yeah, but your nationwide groups of uh, sales for toys and, and that sort of thing, I don't believe maybe was there. It's there, but Fritz wouldn't allow that you go into somebody else's territory. I don't know. You know, uh, David Manning, you may have better insight on that. You were a little closer to Fritz than I really was, but that's what I, w- I kind of figured and uh, heard that, you know, they wouldn't, he wouldn't let them go outside, take the boys, and take the shows to, let's say, jump to Atlanta and run a show from uh, out of Texas in Atlanta or up the coast in New York because it all, the show went up there, but they weren't allowed to go up there. So I think a little bit of that was maybe uh, nipped in the bud by Fritz and uh, the old-style thinking. Yeah, they, they built right. Uh, and this is David Manning. They, they, uh, and I ran the souvenirs. <laughs> so Fritz, Fritz uh, had had put me over that. Gosh, back around '83, and um, uh, we did huge, we did huge volume. Obviously, uh, at a at a certain point, he started letting Kevin and uh, and the boys uh, uh, carry. They were getting a piece of you know all of their stuff that sold, and um, we. Uh, 
I mean, people people don't realize a lot of times. Uh, you, you talked about how big Vince was in in, in eighty four. We were pulling a fifteen rating in New York. Vince was pulling around eleven, and um, yeah, that's how popular our tape was. We were the 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 two biggest TVs out there was Ted Turner, and our superstation channel eleven. So we were going into Oklahoma. Uh, uh, all the way up into New Orleans, places like that. So we were selling huge in those areas. But as wrestling, as, as our syndication, we were literally syndication in over 40 uh, states. All of a sudden now, Kerry was making an appearance. You know, he went up for Vern Gagne. Uh, we did the Superdome. A, a lot of the boys went and did uh, matches in the Superdome for Watts. And when they would make those shows, obviously uh, – Kevin and Kerry and, uh, you know, the ones that were making appearances started letting them sell the pictures up in that area and taking a cut of it. But I'll give you the biggest example. We tried to get Fritz to pay-per-view, myself and Channel 39 and and Kev, to uh, the Texas Stadium show where we did over 40,000 people uh, because we had people literally from all over the world wanting to come or somehow see those matches live. And – you know, at that time, no one had pay-per-viewed, and it was the biggest crowd yeah. in history for an in, uh, for an event. Uh, and then, you know, a few months later, uh, Vince does his first pay-per-view up in Canada. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at one point, there could have been a merge between us and New York. But uh, as Bill said, Fritz turned it down mainly because you had all the basically old-timers that ran their own territories. You know, he didn't yeah. want to go step on their toes and, and put them out of business. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I remember. I remember that the show in Texas Stadium down there was before, like you said, David, was before New York went with their WrestleMania, their biggest thing. So we yep. they were we were ahead of them down in Texas with the big show. Yeah, we were we were drawing our ratings were bigger than them up in New York. It was crazy. I mean that world class yep. tape was second to none. I mean I mean when we went to Israel, I think that really showed how popular wrestling was. I mean, when you got 30,000 people show out at the tarmac to watch a plane land, um, you know, and you get the prime minister to come ask the Von Erichs not to make any more appearances because people aren't going to work. (laughs) That's, that's a pretty strong statement of how strong at that time world-class was. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, the big elephant in the room on today's show World class going to have some renewed interest because this week the movie The Iron Claw comes out. There's been talk for several years of a movie about the Von Erichs and world class hitting theaters. We finally not only got it made, but it is launching this week in theaters all over the country. Bill Irwin, as someone that lived through it, did you ever think that you'd see a day when there was going to be a movie made about the Von Erickson world class? No. Short answer, no. I mean, you know, you're running through it. Of course, when you're running up and down the roads and you're in the middle of it, uh, you're not thinking uh, like that. You're thinking, how do you get to the next show and where do you get your next beer? I mean, you're not worrying about uh, whether or not in 40 or 50 years, you know, where it all is. So it's, uh, you know, I, you know to, to my, and at that time, 
no, I never thought. I remember when <laughs> when pay per views were coming on and the people were doing pay per views, and uh, as the boys would be riding up down the road talking pay per view. What the hell? Why would they pay to view this? It's on TV every five days a week for free. Why would they pay for it? I don't get it. That ain't gonna work. It's not gonna work. And you know, obviously the boys are wrong, but you know how that goes. <laughs> so I I would not have ever thought uh, that you know it would get to where where you're at now, where most everything is a pay per view. Bill Colville, you're depicted in the movie as well. When you're in world class and you're running security. Was it ever a thought in your head that eventually they're going to make a movie about this? No. Uh, and, and I don't think anybody back then thought that far, uh, that it was going to happen. Now, later on, I've, I've met with several different people that had put uh, a movie-type thing together, sent me the the whatever you call it, where they – you know, for the play action stuff. And it all sucked. It was script. Thank you. It was all. <laughs> yeah. It it was all really bad. Everything that I, I saw uh, and that, that I looked at. And uh, I just kind of, you know, uh, I, I don't think anybody really thought that it was going to really happen. Now, Kevin had, had uh, said several times, that it was going to, but that was with him doing it, and it, it didn't happen that way because Von Erichs didn't have any, any, uh, as far as I know, any play in this at all uh, until the end. And uh, right. they looked at it, and <clears throat> Kevin, I've talked to Kevin and, and uh, his kids and Carrie's kids, and they all approved it and and uh, very happy with it. Hey, of course, uh, I, I haven't. I WTV this week promoting it as well. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, uh, there's been a lot of famous wrestlers. Uh, you know, let, let, let's look at Hulk. Let's look at uh, the Warrior. I mean, there's been guys that have drawn big. If it would have just been, if that was just the story, I don't think there would have ever been a movie. The, the fact here, un, unfortunately, I think all the tragedies that took place is what led to the movie. Um, and, and a lot of people, will, family, a lot of people yeah. will tell me, "Oh my God, can you believe what all the Kennedys gone through?" And I'm like, "That's nothing." Um, and, and you know, when you look at at six brothers and now five, uh, you know, five are gone. Uh, I think that's what re- it. It's not just a story about wrestling; it's a story, uh, you know. And Kevin and I, <laughs> we said it, we we saw it at the premiere and. Uh, We'll be, we'll, be, we'll be doing a show in Fort Worth. Matter of fact, in March, uh, we did one in Dallas here about two months ago. But this one, we're going to cover the movie. And, you know, there's no way to tell the Von Erich story or the world-class story in two hours. There's no way. And and um, so they had to hurry through a lot of it. It was hard for Kevin and I to set through it because we – I always tell people, a lot of people can tell the story. There's about three to four people alive that live the story. And um, – uh, Brian Adias is one, uh, Brian Gower, and, and, you know, he was close. He grew up best friends as, uh, best friends with Kerry, same school, everything. And, uh, and then there was uh, Kevin and I, and then obviously Bill was running all the security. And so 
Um, I told Dirk in the night at the uh, after party, he thought he had covered all the tragedies. I was like, no, you've covered some of them, but you missed, you know, unfortunately the crib death and you missed the uh, jail getting run over. And um, they were kind of shocked, but I wish they would have consulted with, uh, you know, Kevin at some point or at least one of us. But, hey, my son loved the movie. As Bill said, people are loving the movie. So that's that's the main thing. And then uh, Kevin and I are going to hit the stage in March and uh, go over the movie and anything that was kind of backwards. I did, I, I did honestly say I didn't like the way they portrayed Fritz in the movie. But, you know, Fritz, was he was a hard guy, but he was a phenomenal businessman. And as uh, Bill can tell you, but, you know, he was a great man. And he never he was pushed a good the boy towards really wrestling. Was. Yeah. No. Well, guys, my co-host, Coach Mike Jones, is with us, and I'm sure Coach probably has some questions. Coach, you got anything? Yes, I do. Yes, I was a huge Von Erich fan back in the day. Still am. I love the, I love the story. I love your guys' story so far. But <clears throat> sign guy, how about I'll, I'll put out a question, and you can delegate to the guys. Sounds good. Okay, you guys, give us one of your favorite Von Erich stories, please. I'll go first. What about Dwight? Do you have a Von Erich story? Well, somebody was stepping up there. Let him go. (laughs) Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, who went went first? Mine's on Kerry. As Bill Bill Cobble knows, Kerry was the easiest one to pull ribs on. And... uh, so we wrestled in Tyler one night. Brian Blair is in town, and Brian talked to Kerry. They had a big – Kerry drove a big Lincoln. So Brian talked to Kerry and uh, getting in the trunk of the car, said, I'm going to pull up a little ways, and uh, when everybody's following us, I'm going to pull over. I'll honk three or four times. That gives you the signal to be ready, and I'll pop the trunk, and you moon everybody. And so Kerry was <laughs> all for it. So Kerry gets in the trunk. We drive like hell to a truck stop that's got a restaurant. We back up. That, uh, Brian backs up to the window of the truck stop where everybody's looking out, and now he starts honking. So everybody's looking, and then he pops the trunk, and there's Carrie's big ass to the whole restaurant. <laughs> and Carrie's trying, Carrie's trying to pull the trunk down and pull the truck down, but but Brian keeps pushing the lever, you know, to pop it up. And uh, then he's got to lock the doors because Carrie was a little peeved off. Um, and I know Cobble's got stories because he traveled all over with them. Yeah, one of the one of the ones that that. Kevin likes telling, uh, and in fact, at the uh, premiere the other night, the first thing his, his daughters did came running up, hugged me, and then said, "Tell us the story you heard on the, the dad told on the Bo and Jim show." And and that's we were uh, it was right after I started, and we had uh, I had taken Carrie and David and Brian and Diaz to Fort Worth that night, and Carrie and David uh, I'm sorry it wasn't David it was Carrie and Kevin. And they had their wives in the back seat, and Brian and I were sitting in the front seat. And uh, we did the, the Channel 11 taping. On the way back, we're in my new Fleetwood Brome Cadillac diesel that would not get out of its own way. And we're going down the highway, and a 65 Mustang pulls up next to us and moves over like he's going to hit us, moves back, moves over, moves back. And Carrie was sitting in the window behind me, and uh, he said, well, maybe they know who we are. So he rolled down the window to wave, and when he did, they threw a beer bottle through the back window, and it hit Kathy in the head. 
Uh-huh. So Carrie rolled up the window. We're in the diesel. It won't get out of its own way. I can't run. So they come up again and uh, start doing it again. And I said, screw this. And I was still wearing my jacket with my shoulder holster on. So, again, I'm telling you, it was a 1980, this was an 81 Fleetwood Brome, one of those big ones. My elbow wouldn't even reach the door uh, to put my elbow out the window. I had my left hand on the steering wheel. I pulled under my jacket, got the gun out, put my hand across my arm. It was still sticking in the car, not out the window, and it was a 357 Magnum with only a two-inch barrel. And when they came around again, I shot the car three times. They spun off. Cars stopped everywhere. Nobody said anything. I put the gun back in my shoulder holster, rolled the window up, put my hands on the wheel, and we're just driving. No one's saying anything. A fan had given us a case of beer before we left. So finally, Brian kind of coughs for a second, and he reaches over and hands everybody the beer. And uh, everybody takes a drink, and all of a sudden, Brian says, those things make a lot of noise when you shoot them off in a car, don't they? And we're all going, huh, what? We couldn't hear a thing because of the gun going off in there. Now, the, the funny part that Kevin didn't tell is three or four weeks later, we were at the Sportatorium. It was TV night, and it was coming up on Thanksgiving. And I was at the ring looking around, talking to people, signing autographs, trying to really do what I did to see who was going to be problematic and uh, that I needed to watch once the, the show started. Well, one of the ushers came down and said, Kerry wants you up in his dad's office. And I said, okay. So I went up there, and Kerry's sitting behind the desk, very professional, a little blue envelope in front of him. And uh, he pushed it across the table with both hands, and he said, open the envelope. And I said, I don't think I want to. He started laughing. He said, open it. Well, I opened it up, and it was a Thanksgiving card. And it said, hey, we're the kids you and Bill shot the car on the other night. We just want to tell you happy Thanksgiving. And we got those cards every for Halloween, Valentine's. We never knew who oh. the kids were. We got the cards for, for over two years. And they oh, would send oh, us oh. pictures of us. On Friday night at the Sportatorium, you know, when they sent a car, said, hey, we were there, we waved at you. But we never, they never told us who we were. And so it was like I always thought they were in their daddy's car, not supposed to be drinking, and weren't about to say, yeah, it was the Von Erichs that shot the cars. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, that, that was a funny story we got, and, and I thought it was funny anyway. <laughs> awesome. All right, well, guys, real fast, let me see if I can get James Beer back. I'm going to give him a quick call. Let's see if we can get him. Right, so he probably fell asleep. He always <laughs> did in the ring. <laughs> hey, hey, while we're waiting, i got to give you two Bill Irwin stories. There you go. Oh, no. Yeah, oh, yeah. So one night, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm I'll leaving on. i get you, This is James. Leave a message. If, if your match is over. You could come, At the you know, tone, please Berlin. record your message. When you've finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Okay, sorry about that, guys. Okay. That's all right. So anyway, you could leave early. So Bill, had, you know, his match is over, so he had gone out. And uh, so I went ahead and left. I, uh, uh, I don't know why I was leaving early that night. But when I walked out to the parking lot, two, I, I hope we Bill will remember this. Two big cowboys had jumped Bill just as he was getting to his car. 
and they're trying to beat his ass. And I have to say, Bill was holding his own. And so all I know to do is I just go running and jump on the back of one of them and, and you know, slap a choke sleeper hold on him. And he's running me in the cars, the building, everything you can think of. And uh, and so he finally, I hear that, and he falls in the dirt. Now the people are coming out. The match is over. And I look over, and Bill's finished beating the shit out of the other one. <laughs> and so, so they, uh, uh, I go over there, and I was like, what the hell happened? He goes, I don't know. I'm just putting my bag in the car. Next thing I know, there's two guys wailing on me. You remember that, Bill? Uh, no. <laughs> no, I, I remember. I remember the one thing. The one time I did get in some type of a tussle down there at the uh, uh, outside the building. There, I remember that I was I was in my car and I was going to back out, and uh, the guy standing right behind the car and wasn't moving. You know, like big tough guy, and I, ha- I, you know, of course that pissed me off. And I just, I got out of the car and I got out of the car and I walked to the back and I blasted him, you know, both hands in the chest and he landed on his ass. And then all the people started coming around and they really, I don't remember that that went any farther, you know, because I think my wife, uh, Clarine gets out of the car and is coming, you know, uh, to say, come on, getting holding on or pulling on my arm. And I just remember <laughs> telling her later, I says, if ever, if ever I'm getting in a fight, do not grab me. Because as soon as you <laughs> grab me, they're going to nail me. Don't grab me. You know, well, you, stay behind, the other one is, don't scream know, or whatever. I know Bill will remember this one. We're coming back from uh, either Austin or San Antonio. Back seat has got Michael Hayes, Terry Gordy, and Bill. Front seat's got me driving, sunshine in the middle, Jimmy Garvin. So Terry and Bill somehow get in a freaking argument about who can run fastest. So we pull over on the side of 35, and Michael gets out, and he's at the starting line. We mark off 50 yards. Irwin and and Gordy both take off their boots. They both wore cowboy boots. They take them off, and they line up, and they run like hell for 50 yards. On Monday night, their feet were all torn up where the asphalt had tore their feet up. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I'll have to ask Bill, who won? I can't even remember. I, I I don't even remember, but all I do Ooh, remember is boy. You have reached the maximum the, time permitted for recording your message. On, if you're satisfied with the message, press one. To I'm listen to your message, message press two. To erase and re-record, anyway. press three. Uh, yeah, up, we, uh, done the, the if you're the satisfied with the remember, message, press one. To listen to your message, press foot, two. To erase and video. re-record, press three. Oh, sorry about that, guys. James's voice. If you're satisfied with the message, press 1. To listen to your message, press 2. To erase and re-record, press 3. Are we all supposed yeah. to do that? Yeah, yeah we're going to start. Sorry, you're having oh. trouble. Your message has been sent. Uh, Please try again later. Goodbye. Well, thanks, yeah. Turnbuckle. <laughs> sorry about that, Modern guys. Technology. Exactly. That's just like being on the road. <laughs> something's always something's always happening. Okay, do you right. finish with the Von Eric stories? I know we switched over to Bill Irwin stories. Uh, did did everyone get their Von Eric story in? Yes. 
Okay, nice. I think so. Okay, now, I yeah. was a huge Lance Von Erich fan because, for one, he he was up here in the Northwest wrestling as Ricky Vaughn before then, and I, you know, I was a fan of him before he was Lance. What was your guys' thoughts on Lance Von Erich, and how did you think he did? I think he did pretty good. Well, I'll be I'll be the uh, the the heel in the group. Um, I didn't think he did worth a damn. I never thought it was worth uh, anything. Really, it was, I thought I thought the whole thing was kind of hokey that you're bringing in a Von Erich. All of a sudden, you got a Von Erich showing up here that nobody knows about. I thought the whole angle was a little bit goofy, even when it was being done. And him in the ring was, you know. I hate to talk bad about anybody, really. I mean, you know, I suck too, but I don't know. At the time, I, I didn't think too much of him, so I don't know. I didn't. Uh, I don't. Know. I've never really seen him since, so I don't know. Okay, All right, I'll jump in. I'll jump in here. They, you know, I'm the one that found him out at Ditto Golf Course. Uh, we made the decision in a booking meeting uh, to find a Von Eric. Mike wasn't ready. Um, you know, and we we had built the angle of three uh, free birds, and we, we really needed three Von Erichs. Um, you know, uh, I to take a guy like Lance, and like you said, we sent him up to uh, Portland and uh, tried to give him a, a crash course. But I don't think that Bill can tell you more than any of us. There's no such thing as a crash course to walk in the ring almost six months later as a Von Erich, and you're instantly no. – main event in every building and then we have the other tragedy where Kerry, you know, loses the leg and now he you know, him and Kev are both trying to work two spot shows every Saturday night. One would start the yeah. they'd start the first match in one show and then crisscross and um yeah. for, for what he was asked to do, uh you know, I think he probably did his it would have been hard to find a wrestler because even even with the TVs were local, you still pretty much knew all the wrestlers. And you you go all the way back to Waldo Von Eric. You know they're not that's not really Fritz's brother, but like I say, it was uh, we probably could have did a better angle, and uh, it would have helped if uh, Lance was more of a bodybuilder, obviously, and uh, so he was a little uh, it was it was a little hard for him in the ring to catch up. Yeah. Yeah, because we have. Matter of fact, D Magazine, D Magazine's doing an article. They just sent them to me because they interviewed me. They interviewed uh, Brian uh, uh, Diaz about Lance. And the title of it is When I Got the D Magazine on the front, it says The Fake Von Eric. And uh, the whole article, it's about eight pages. Uh, They really cover, you know. It, it, how he felt about being here and what caused the breakup and the whole works. So it's coming out this month on D Magazine. Mm-hmm. All right, do we have James with us yet? Uh, yeah, I'm here. If you can hear me, we can hear you now, Mr. Beard. Sorry for the technical difficulty we had with you. That's okay. I kept dropping off. I don't know what the deal was. Um, well, to kind of catch you up. Um, could you tell us a favorite Von Erich story and maybe a favorite Bill Irwin story? <laughs> I mean, I, 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 my favorite Bill Irwin story would be if he could ever learn how to work that whip. 
I worked it perfectly on your on your ass a couple of times. You know that. No. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, when I think about about those guys, I, I, this is like a way later. I was in working in Japan um, with a, a company over there, and, and they had an agreement with WWF at the time. And, and Kerry was over there with them. That's when when he was working with WWF and. And uh, we'd gone out on a night off one night and, and um, had a little fun. Got, got back, got back to the hotel, and you know, Shawn Michaels was with us, and Rick. Uh, uh, shoot, I can't remember everybody who was there, but anyway, we we got back to the hotel, and 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 Terry said, right, "Let's go down to the down to the restaurant and and uh, get a little something to eat before we go to bed. And I said, well, okay, I was kind of tired, but I said, okay, I'll go with you. And we sit down there for an hour or so talking. And finally I told Gary, I said, I got to, I got to go to bed, man. I'm, I'm dead. It was probably two o'clock in the morning by then. And went up to my room and, and the next morning I got a call from Sean and, and he said, if you talk to Gary, and I said, no, no, I mean, I saw him last night. I left him in the, in the restaurant. He's still, still down there eating pie. And, uh, uh, he said, well, I'll meet you down on the floor, and then we'll go knock on his door and see if we can wake him up. And I went down there, and, and he was leaning up against the door at, at his uh, room, asleep. We shook him awake, and, and uh, he said, well, I couldn't find my key, so I just went to sleep right here. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. And later that day, he and I were working out, and we got to talking a little bit, and he said, you know, he said, I, I, I knew where my key was, but I just couldn't go in that room because I kept thinking about David. And that, that, you know, that's the thing I think about with Kerry sometimes when I, when I think about him. He just, he, he, just, he was such a funny kid, like a kid sometimes, but he, you know, that, that was kind of a surreal type situation, and, and, and it just kind of, kind of shook me a little bit. Yeah, that was like Kerry. I can see that. I never really got to spend a lot of time with Carrie outside of uh, a building, uh, you know, as being back when, back in those days, it was still kind of kayfabe, you know. And so being around Carrie uh, as uh, the heel in the territory really wasn't something that I would have, you know, days off or wandering around with him. But what I knew of him was uh, at the buildings or in the ring. Yeah, what, like a, what James? Uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, wait, Jim. Uh, James was was talking. Terry uh, did have a big heart on a lot of things after day. And going back to when David passed, we were uh, sportatorium TV night, and someone came down and said, "Kerry wants you in the." Uh, dressing room <clears throat> and I went back up and went in and he was motioning me to go in one of the empty rooms and we sat down and, and uh, or he told me to sit down and we sat and he said he said I want to be a brother like like you and David were and I said Carrie you are a brother he said no uh, uh, the way you and David were where you always hung out you know and, and being family and uh then he started crying, and then I did. Uh, you know, it, it was Carrie had a heart. Uh, he wasn't always what everybody thought he was. 
uh, another time in a, he had flown in and I went to pick him up and he could hardly walk. And we were supposed to go to Cook's Children to go uh, talk to the kids and, and do what we used to do on our time off. And I said, Carrie, you can't. We can't go do this. We need to go to the hospital. And he was holding on to me. He said, no. He said, he said I said we would be there and we're going to be there. And we spent two hours with him in so much pain, sweating. And I had to put him in a, 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 a what do you call it when you push a student, I mean a patient. Uh, wheelchair. Wheelchair, thank you, uh, to get him back to the car. But that was what he said he was going to do, and that's what he wanted to do in as much pain as he was in, is go deal with those kids that were expecting him. He had a heart that, that uh, I wish people more uh, more people knew about. All right, Coach, you got another question? All right, you guys. What was your most memorable matches that you guys were part of in world class? Well, Bill, I'm sure you had a few of them. Which Bill? Uh, Wild Bill, we got, we still have you? I'll jump in. I'll jump in. It had to be, uh, obviously, and it was probably the biggest match as far as creating um, our success was, uh, it was at Reunion Arena, and it was the night that Michael Hayes was special referee Carey versus Flair cage match, and uh, that's when we flipped the Freebirds Hill and Gordy slammed the gate on Carey's head. And then from that point forward, we sold, we sold out every show for about two straight years. Crowd reactions were off the charts. Yep. Yep. Bill, that's when Bill Cobble had to really earn his money. <laughs> One of one of the many nights. James Beard, you had to have a few of them. Not as many as David did. He had all the good stuff, man. He got he was there during the good times when all the all the money was made. They, you know, there's no way to really list them. I mean, obviously there was a lot of good flare matches, but I'm gonna tell you there was a lot of good Harley race matches. Um, uh, a lot of good stuff with Harley after the matches too. But um, I remember the night Kevin, um, you know, wrestled Harley. Uh, I can't. I, th- I think that one was in the convention center, and uh, we had no disqualification. That was a good one. Uh, and then obviously, you know, the one I send people to the most that if they ever want to talk about how tough wrestling was here, and I know both. Uh, uh, James and Bill will back this up. If you ever got a chance to go on, go on on YouTube and check out the Von Erichs versus the Freebirds and the strap matches, and tell Those me you'd like to been in the middle of that. Because uh, I'm telling you, they beat the hell out of each other. David, I watched that thing just yesterday. A, a, a film of that. It, it was incre- incredible. Oh, yeah, they came, they, they they came were, back with welts all over them, all over their bodies. And, they, they and, and a great, great they story is, in. yep, and a great story is, because I, I used to actually feel sorry for Buddy Robert, 
But but when we set up the strap mat, Fritz brought this. Uh, he brought a, you know, the kind like the barber shop sharpens their their knife on. He brings one of those to the ring, and and they did a battle royal. And during during the Fritz was on the floor, and so during that time on the floor, he hits Buddy in the back with that freaking big strap, and just leaves a big whelp. Well, the birds were going to go out and do an interview. So when we get to the back, Michael's telling Buddy that. Oh, man, it didn't even leave a mark. Uh, let me do it. And so Buddy just turns around, and Michael takes that big strap and just takes two hands and whacks him across the back. And Buddy cringes and goes to his knees, and they wait a second, and then Terry says, no, that didn't do it. Let me do it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and then, yeah, then Terry, had, poor Buddy, when he went out for the interview, it looked like he had about a three-inch blister on his back. <laughs> Now they, those guys were those guys were wailing away in that match. Well, you wouldn't want to have a strap match and not come away with the mark. I uh, know. Well, talk to the guy with the whip. Well, Bill, yeah, I was going to say, Bill Irwin's left a many a mark in the ring with that whip. I've seen it. I think, and I've okay. tasted it a couple of times by getting uh, in the way. Say, I've felt it a time or two. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got a picture of him behind me. Where I'd taken my base my cowboy hat off, I was wearing a baseball cap because he'd gotten my hat several times with that thing and knocked it off. So I started going to the ring with him with a, a baseball cap instead of my cowboy hat. <laughs> and he hasn't lost his touch. A few years ago, we were at the Hall of Fame, and he comes walking in, and we're all signing autographs. And the next thing I know, hear a big pop, and I can't remember if it was was it a Killer Brooks or Brian or whoever was signing something. And he just popped it right off the table. <laughs> well, like I said, you never. All right, Coach, you got anything more? Anyway, I just want to say I want to thank you guys all for what you've done for wrestling. I want to wish you all the luck in the world, and I really appreciate it. And I'm sure Sign Guy's got some more for you guys. Thanks again. You're welcome. Right, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Coach. Well, guys, one of the things that was synonymous with world class and it became really world famous and part of world class is the Sportatorium in Dallas. Over the years, we've heard a lot of stories about how the Sportatorium really was as a building. A lot of people loved going there because of the history. Some people did not love going there so much because of the condition it was in towards the end. But it is a beloved venue by wrestling fans, and anyone that watched World Class was familiar with the Sportatorium. Now, David Manning, I know you worked in there a ton. What were your thoughts on the Sportatorium? Well, one, you know, it didn't have regular seats. It had bench seats, and whoever marked them off thought the average butt was only about 12 inches wide. <laughs> and uh, we found out that's not true. But, you know, in the and summer, the it, was, it, was a, it was a 10 building. In the summer, it was hotter than hell. But, you know, I'm one of those. They should have never tore the sportatorium down. Forget the, what happened in wrestling there. It was nostalgic because of originally the Big D Jamboree was there. And, I mean, I saw Ed Watt one time had a contract. Elvis Aaron Presley played there for $35, and he 
and he signed it because he got his money. Uh, Willie Nelson did more ma- uh, shows in, in the Sportatorium than any place else in the world. Johnny Cash was there. I mean, the who's who's list of what took place other than wrestling in that Sportatorium, to me, should have made and, – and what's sad is it's just an empty parking lot now. They didn't even put anything in place of it. Yeah. Now, Phil, Phil, you Phil, you may have like a totally different look on it because you were in charge of security, so I'm sure you saw it with a different set of eyes, but what did you think of the Sportatorium as a wrestling venue? It was undoubtedly, on, on my end, the most dangerous course. The aisles were so narrow. <clears throat> uh, the fans didn't even have to get out of their seats to reach and swat somebody. Uh trying to get to the ring, I had to go down the aisle sideways. Uh, I, you know, I wouldn't go in front. I was, especially if it was one of the Von Erics or somebody like that, I walked sideways where I could pop with my right hand or left hand and get somebody in front of us or behind us. Uh, but it was, it was out of every place that, that I got to go, I always enjoyed getting back there. It, it, and I've said this before. You know, it was rough, it was dangerous, but it was it was what wrestling was. And I think a lot of the fans thought that. Uh, they were always more energetic, and that's a better way to put it. Uh, yeah. I had more problems there. I had more uh, more fights with the fans. I had, had if it was going to happen, it was going to happen at the Sportatorium. Uh, but, again, that's that's what it was. And uh, I loved every minute I spent in there. James Beard, you worked in the Sportatorium for multiple promotions uh, going past world class. But looking at it as a wrestling venue, what did you think of the Sportatorium? There's nothing like it anywhere. Uh, the atmosphere was incredible. I mean, it, the building was wasn't pretty, and and there were times when it was you know uncomfortable, hot, cold, whatever. But uh, the the atmosphere for for wrestling or or, or music, like David said, is is was just uh, it was something that was just really special. You know, I, I I had the fortune to work all over the world in a lot of pretty famous places and. There was nothing like the sportatorium. The the, the, the feel, the the smell, the whole thing. It was just it was just something really special. It was home, you know. And I think everybody else the, thought that too. All the others. The ring added a lot to it. That that was a really, as I remember, that was a really good bumping ring. So you could really get out there and work hard in that ring, and you didn't have to worry about getting. Hurt because of the ring. I mean, you could take. Uh, well, it was a good the, ring the was all that was all built in. You know, it, it was yeah. there. You know, that yeah. later on when they started having some water problems, they, I think this was. I think it might have been. Uh, I don't know whether USWA was there or Global was there. I can't remember, but uh, somewhere in that that time frame, they they had some water problems and they had to take that old wood floor out and. And they put a regular eighteen foot ring in there, and, and you know that changed things a little bit. But uh, that that old that old ring was it was solid as a brick bat, boy. Yeah. So essentially, the ring just never got torn down; it stayed up permanently. 
was used as a stage also, you know, for the music show yeah. and things. So it had to be oh. solid. Yeah. And and it they was great for filming. Down. Channel thirty channel thirty nine loved it for filming. Well it was a special atmosphere. The 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 yeah. the, really the production for world class was head and shoulders above anything else in wrestling back during those days. Now, when fans think world-class, there were so many major stars that came through world-class. Obviously, they had ESPN for a while, so fans got to see them nationwide. But even before and after the ESPN era, fans were familiar because of the magazines with who was coming in out of world-class. You had guys like... Bill Irwin and Kamala and Jake the Snake Roberts and Gino Hernandez and Chris Adams, guys that went on to the other national promotions, but they were with world class first. In your opinions, who do you think world class really was exemplified by as far as having them as being one of the top stars. Obviously, the Von Erichs were the top stars, but when you look at the other talent, who would you say was that shining example of that was a top world-class star? Oh, I'm, I'm a, I want to jump in here for this one because it's really hard to say any one. What, what was really mm-hmm. neat about world-class, and, and Bill knows, if you were a heel, it was a great place to work. If you were a babyface, it was hard because you got, you know, three to four Von Eric. So there's only so much room at the yeah. top. But when you look at our – you, you can call it the underneath card. Sometimes our third match could have been a main event anywhere in the country. When you look at mm-hmm. – I know you mentioned a lot of them, but you also got Bruiser Brody. You know, you had the Warrior mm-hmm. when he was here. We called him the Dingo Warrior. You know, you got you got Irwin. You had Iceman. You had Sunshine. You had Jimmy Garvin, mm-hmm. uh, Ravishing Rick Rude. Uh, I mean, the list just yeah. goes on, and it was crazy how much talent was here from top, from the opening match all the way to the main event. And so when you try to look at uh, and, and the birds, I mean, it's hard to jump out there. I mean, obviously you had Bruiser Brody. You had the Warrior who went up to New York, which I, I'll tell you right now, and I'm sure Bill Irwin can back it up, not a great worker, hard to work with, hard to do business with, but became a mega superstar. Yeah. Yes, David's right, and then yeah. and, and that's just talking about during the what we think of as the world class years. I mean, before that, you know, you go way back and you talk about you can say Fritz himself may have been the biggest star was ever in there. Yeah, Fritz, Luthez, Killer Carl Cox, yeah. Duke Kilmuka. I mean, good lord, uh, Johnny Valentine, Red Bastine, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Jose Lothario, Red Bastine. I mean, the, it, it's just crazy. Uh, when I look at some of the tapes that are still out there circulating, um, it, 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 it was, let's just put it this way, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. I, I, think a lot, I think a lot of people forget just how big a star Fritz was. That, that's, he was, man, he was one of the, probably one of the biggest draws in, in wrestling when he was hot when, during his heyday. Well, you know, when the boys first came out, it was hard for Fritz because, like, he went up to Kill Auditorium with him the first time with David and uh, and Kev. 
and and uh, they booed Prince when he came out, but they cheered the boys. <laughs> I can believe that. <laughs> uh-huh. Now, speaking of Fritz, one of the things late in the world-class run that got a lot of attention was the night when he had the heart attack right before Kerry's world title match with Al Perez, and they rushed him to the hospital, and he told Kerry to go back to the Sportatorium to wrestle the title match. A lot of people looking back on it, we're not a fan of him uh, doing something like that. Some people thought it was a good business move to try to drum up interest. When the Von Erichs would do something like that, like you say, for example, Fritz's uh, heart attack angle, or if they use one of the boys' problems to try to drum up interest in ticket sales, were you guys generally... For that, or were you a little bit leery of that coming back to bite the promotion in the long run? Well, I, I was gone when that happened, but I know for a fact Kevin told me he thought, and, and watching it, I thought it was a, a bad angle. And Kerry, uh, Kevin told me he was dead set against it. He voted 100% not to do it. Um, and um, like I say, I wasn't there, but I just know how uh, I just go by what Kev tells me. He thought it was a mistake. Now I agree with David. I think that was, I think that was a, a bad idea. I, I don't remember it. I don't, I don't know if I was even there then. I might've been gone. As far as uh, Fritz having the... a heart attack. Yeah. Yeah. He had a heart attack in the aisle during a, a brawl right before the match. Was how they yeah. set up the angle. Yeah, this, One this, of the this, this, other things that World Class was really known for, and James mentioned this, I believe, was the production. And they had the high-tech cameras and lighting, and they had entrance music before a lot of other territories introduced ring music. Do you think that production values for world-class, if they had chosen to go the national route, would have let them succeed on par with the WWF? Or do you think that they were really good for the Dallas market, but maybe not translating to the national market? Well, I I think you would have had to have – not having the TV is not what killed world class. It was not having the Von Erichs. Uh, you know, and there's no way. To, if you could take away the death, I think we go step for step, if not bigger than the WWF. But, you know, no no one can describe, you know, three suicides and another death uh, in, in, in four years. Yeah. Well, I remember I remember coming in down there. And when uh, they finally, when they got that uh, that that station, and they started bringing in the crew of people, and we're going to have the shows are going to be, you're going to have a camera right in your face. They're going to be right there, and you know it was basically don't touch them. They're going to be there. They're going to be up on the ring. They're going to be in your face, and they're going to be 
you know, all, a whole different attitude than what the other shows were in across the country. You know, we, our show, that show, was ahead of uh, New York as far as the production, the show, and that kind of stuff. They weren't doing it. The, the show that got put out down there was first down there. And then other people started picking it up because they could see that, it, that it, they liked that the people liked it. But, you know, you had, you had people right in your face in the corner. In the old uh, days, that, you know. You, you had a boom mic right in your face. So they, they could hear even a whisper. So the boys, yeah. like Bill calling a match, you had to just totally change up how you did it. Yeah, you had, you had to really watch yourself. Yeah. Yeah, who is that, who is that one camera guy? Oz. What was his name? There was, there was Vic uh, and there was Oz. Yeah. Oz. Oz, yeah. Yeah, I also Oz. worked for the – I think he, he also worked for the Rangers and the, maybe the Cowboys. I don't remember, but that, that was a heck of a crew. Yeah. yeah, and you had Harrison Gillum, you had Keith Mitchell. Keith Mitchell went on to go to several different territories and run their, you know, he went up for Crockett first and uh, basically, you know, turned the, them into superstars. And then uh, I know his last hoorah, he was down with Jarrett. Yeah. Yeah, that, that the show style of uh, the cameras right there, almost in the ring, you know, right in the face of the, uh, the guys and stuff, uh, I think that's one of the things that made, obviously, all of the talent and, of course, the family and that kind of stuff. But the new style show going across the nation, I think, coming in from Texas and, you know, you're living up in Maine, you're watching it up there, uh, you know, I think that really made a big difference on all of it. The other thing was we, we introduced the little vignette to where, you would get a yeah. you would get a snapshot of the wrestlers outside of the ring. You might have the free birds at the bar, you know. Uh, uh, we did uh, Garvin and Sunshine one time at a spa. Uh, remember when Garvin yeah. and Sunshine had to clean up the horse poop out at Dave's ranch? Uh, yeah. All of that stuff too, I think, brought a different look and a different uh, feel for the boys. Yeah. Iron Claw coming out this week, I think it's important to remember for a lot of fans that this is not a documentary about either World Class or the Von Erichs. It's a theatrical production, but I know that they worked hard on trying to maintain some accuracy and get the story close to how it was. But if you could look at what Hollywood has done with world class and let the fans know one aspect of it, that this is how it really was. What would you want to get out there? So fans know that this was a Hollywood part of the movie and not necessarily something that everybody lived. There were were obviously some, some, things that weren't totally accurate and the timelines weren't exactly right, you know, those kinds of things. But, you know, like you said, it's not a documentary. It's not a historical piece. It's, it's a, you know, I, when I was I was there, I got the impression that the, the whole point of the movie was 
really kind of telling Kevin's story, you know, about, uh, you know, him being the older brother and kind of, kind of being overlooked a little, you know, the David, David was the first one that got kind of the push. And then, then when uh, David died, the, the, the rub kind of went to Kerry, you know, and, and, and Kev had to kind of deal with all of that. Plus, you know, all the tragedies and everything. And, and, you know, it's really Kevin's story. That's how I look at it. And, and, while it's not 100% accurate, it, 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 I think it gets the essence of it anyway. I, I think the one, the, the one area that uh, stuck out the most and, you know, that uh, there was never <laughs> – Hollywood made the Von Erich curse. Uh, there, was, there was never talk of a Von Erich curse, and I know that no. had some of the family a little upset, and they even put out a couple of, you know uh, – social media about it but you know the tragedies were just tra- i mean hell i wish we could go back and get rid of them but they're there but like i said yeah. earlier there's no way you tell the von eric story in two hours no no yeah. i don't know uh, yeah. if you could tell it in two days <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot of people in world class over the years, and there were uh, some Von Erichs that I came and went. Of course, Chris had a run uh, late in world class as well. I don't know if he's represented massively in the movie or not, but like you said, there's not enough time to accurately tell everything. If you've had the chance to put in something that is not in the movie that you felt was important to the history of either the family or the promotion, what would you want to see in the movie? Two things for me, uh, and Chris was not even in the movie, because uh, when I talked to Durkin at the after party, he just said they didn't have enough time to build the character. Um, But I would say – just the way Fritz come across, you know, he, he really didn't push the boys at all into wrestling. But the other one is, <laughs> I think Pam, uh, I would like for the world to know, uh, Pam was, she didn't meet Kevin at wrestling. She met, she went to school behind Carrie and Brian Adias and, you know, Kevin met her through the school systems and chased her for three months. And the movie kind of makes it the other way around. Like he, like she was a groupie, but, uh, <laughs> I know that was kind of hard for her, but, um, you know, I, I look at the movie, like I say, my son loved it. Uh, I thought that I told all the actors, I thought they did a great job. It was just hard. Uh, if you sit and know all the little details and all the things that are wrong with it, yeah, you're going to pick it apart, but the average fan's not going to be able to do that. So I think they're going to like it. Uh, I, I'm not David. I, I think it was a little rough on, on Fritz. Uh, and, you know, but, it, and 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 he's right about Pam. But the good thing about that is, is, is I think it made her. I think the movie showed her as being a strong, you know, kind of a backbone type lady. And then that that that's good. And that that's true. You know. I don't know. I haven't seen the movie yet. <laughs> well, the movie's really good. I mean, it's if you just look at it strictly from a movie standpoint and a story, uh, it's incredible. Well acted, well you know, well written. The whole thing is just 
you know, all, a lot of us that, that were around and knew some of these guys and everything were, you, you, you can nitpick it to death, but, you know, if, if you just look at it purely as a story in a movie, then it's pretty, pretty impressive. Looking Look at, at the wrestling the... matches, and a movie broke out. There you go. <laughs> now, looking at world class as a wrestling territory, uh, taking the movie out of it, in the history of the promotion, you can go back even before world class and go back to when Fritz started the territory, if you want. What would you say is the single most important thing that happened in world-class wrestling. Bill Irwin, I'm sure you got something in mind. Wow. Uh, You know, when you want to go way back, I uh, I think the biggest thing that makes the whole nine yards was uh, uh, them getting the, the television station, and getting the uh, the group of guys that made the tape, we made them on Friday or Saturday nights that got moved around right out of the tape, and that it's the production of the show and the presentation of the show, I think, really made uh, a lot of where it all went because it was brand new. Nobody else had that kind of a thing going on. The talent that was there, all the, the three boys – you know, all the rest of the talent that was in the area was all good talent. And, uh, you know, I think as they put it together with a new show for the fans, they all seemed to love it. And it just, to me, it just took off. And we were ahead of everybody else. Vince was not the first one at all in that area. You know, I say we because I was there, I guess. But, yeah, we were there first before Vince. And it just turned that, you know, Vince was willing to travel across the nation and do some things that Fritz wasn't. So, Colville, what about you? What do you think is the most important event for world class? Bill Bill just sent me a text. He said he got dropped off. I don't know what happened. Okay, my apologies then. Um, James, what about you? Did you... Have a well, you know, memory that stood out as the most important. I, I, you know, I, when I think about world class, I think about what could have been. You know, I, I, I'd really like to know kind of what David feels about this because he was really closer to this. But, you know, when I think about David passing away, David uh, Von Erich, I mean, uh, uh, to me, to me, I think that probably changed the whole landscape and the whole path for. Or not just world class, but maybe even wrestling itself. You know, it, 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 uh, if David had lived, who knows what might have happened. And and I think about you know what could have been. Uh, and, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd kind of like to. Hear, I never heard David talk about that, but I'd like you know I'd kind of wonder what he feels about that. David Manning, how about it? <laughs> well, J- James hit it on the head. I mean. Um, and Kev will admit it till this day, David was the one uh, that had more of a business mind uh, for the business. Uh, he, came, he and I, uh, Fritz gave us a couple of towns to promote, Lawton, Oklahoma, and Tyler, and 
you know, so Dave, we, we went to Fritz and got into that early. And then, uh, you know, he would come to, he was coming to, to more of the booking uh, meetings and trying to help out there. And you never know if it would have been a different Von Erich that was in Japan, but the fact that that happened and then we're coming right into Texas stadium, it's, it's kind of like it just all played together and it created the biggest crowd in history and then Bill Irwin hit it right on the head. We were so blessed that not only when the TV came about, the opportunity with the TV, we had so much talent. It was crazy, you know. And a lot of people don't know, Gary Hart was the one that actually did the deal to bring the birds in. And then, and then Gary was replaced uh, by Ken, you know, as the booker. And, and um, once, once that thing happened in, in, in the reunion where we slammed the gate, it wasn't hard. <laughs> All you had to do was just shuffle the matches every night. Uh, I mean, Irwin knows we were, we were not only selling out in Dallas and Fort Worth. It was the same in Austin. It was the same at the Hemisphere Arena in, 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 in San Antonio. It was the same in Corpus. And then on Saturday night, shows that really spot shows back in the late 70s that might be drawing, you know, three and four and 500 people at, at high schools. All of a sudden, we were having to go into their stadiums, and we were putting – Four and five thousand people in a stadium every Saturday night. Uh, I mean, it was yeah. just—it it was unbelievable. And I—I I don't think you can pin it on one thing. It was just—it was everything falling in place at, at the same time. And some of that was a tragedy, and some of it was just—you know—being able to uh, work with professionals like like Gil Gillum and, and Keith Mitchell and and and, and uh, Mickey Grant over at uh, Channel Thirty Nine and being able to really use everybody. Uh, skill set that they had for each area and then blend in and be able to get along and make it happen. And the rest, man, the rest just happened. It, it was so big. Yeah. I think also that, you know, as uh, when you're looking back there, when I'm, when I'm talking about the talent, the talent was young because the boys were young, you know, there was a lot of young talent in there and uh, that was all very good because the, uh, you know, if you're going to go in there, you want to, you're going to be working with the Von Erichs where they were young and strong and could go. So when you went in there, you had to be young and strong and able to go and perform. If you couldn't, you know, you're going to get left behind there. And I think that helped the shows a hundred percent too. And you had to be stiff. <laughs> oh, for sure. Gentlemen, I want to wrap this up because I don't want to take too much of your time here on a Sunday, but I definitely appreciate each and every one of you coming on today to talk some world-class wrestling with us. We definitely love having you all here, and I'll give you each an opportunity if there's anything you want to say in closing, if you want to plug and promote absolutely anything at all. Well, Bill Irwin, we'll start with you. Well, I guess... I guess all I'd like to say is uh, to David and Bill and James and, uh, you know, uh, thank you uh, for the good times we had back then. If I can be of service to you at all any time now, just give me a call. I'm sure you can all find my phone number. Uh, and, you know, I want to thank you, sir, for, uh, you know, getting us on the air and letting the people out there know what went on. And uh, other than that, everybody take care and keep it between the ditches. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. Bill Colville, I know you were instrumental in helping us out today. I want to thank you very much for that. And if 
you have anything you want to get promoted, definitely let me know. We'll get that out there for you. David Manning, how about you? You got anything you'd like to say in closing? Anything you want to plug or promote? Well, you know, I uh, I think since uh, before the once the Von Erich thing started coming back, you know, and then Vice. Hey, hats off! If you haven't watched the Vice shows, you got to watch them. Uh, they really do get behind the scenes and they tell a hell of a story. Uh, uh, you know, The Rock did tells of the territory. Uh, Garvin and Kevin and. Brian Diaz and myself went out for that. That was great. So I think we're getting a lot of exposure. Uh, you know, I've been blessed. I've sold some companies. And um, uh, matter of fact, right now, I just, I just bought 1,500 acres on Big Cypress River, so I'm learning what developments are like. Uh, that, that's become a little fun, and we're hunting the property, me and Brian. But I own a company called Extreme Travel. It's spelled with an X, S-T-R-E-A-M. Uh, we book travel all over the world. we got about 3,500 travel agents under our umbrella. We have an online class, you know, and where people can become a home-based travel agent. So uh, I stay busy. I always say if you retire, you get old. So uh, I don't plan on retiring anytime soon. And I'm glad for shows like this, it gets the word out. And uh, I'm finally doing a book. Uh, I'll, let her, uh, I'll let all of you know when that's about ready to go. I've been hounded now for about 20 years, and I finally said yes to a particular writer. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm working on that now. James all right, Gibbs, guys, I'm going to let you all go. All right, <laughs> Mr. Irwin, thank you very much again. We definitely appreciate you. Thank you. All right, man, take care. James, Thanks, Bill. I'm going to crack you on the ass. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to watch. <laughs> James Beard, you got anything you'd like to say in closing? Anything you want to plug or promote, go for it. Well, you know, I kind of feel like like Bill. I, I just feel kind of blessed to get, even been a small part of of everything. And you know, it's, it's, this has been a special place down here, and it still is. And and you know, it's nice that that fans are are getting a chance to to kind of relive some of it now. With maybe the movie will bring some of that back, I guess, a little bit and a little more attention. And and, and that's a good thing. I'm. I'm still involved. I still work with a, a group here in Texas called Texas Style Wrestling. We're trying to kind of get back to some of that kind of style here, and and I'm still involved with Cauliflower Alley and uh, out in Las Vegas, and with the uh, Tragus uh, Fez Hall of Fame in Iowa. So I'm 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 still busy and active in the business. So I'm not, you know I don't get in the ring very often, but I I, I do the kind of behind the scenes thing. So I, it's just, it's still kind of a passion and love for me, and I, it probably always will be. Well, we definitely appreciate you as well, and I always carry a copy of your book in my bag. I believe the book's still available if people want to track that down. Yeah, I'm, I'm real close to finishing the second one right now. I will be right in line to buy it the second you have it available. I guarantee you that. Good deal. I hope, I hope, hope there's more than one of you. <laughs> I guarantee there will be. And you also will be seen this Thursday in the movie The Iron Climb, correct, right? Yes, correct. All right, I will definitely be checking that movie out. It's been a long time in the coming, I know, but we're glad it's finally hitting theaters. And once again, I want to thank everybody that was on today. We appreciate each and every one of you greatly. We love talking world-class with you all. Fans, if you have not, 
watch some world-class wrestling, rectify that. There's a lot of great documentaries out there. There's a ton of footage on YouTube and Daily Motion to watch world-class championship wrestling. It was a fantastic promotion ahead of its time in a lot of respects, so definitely check it out. We will be back with you next week. Next Friday afternoon, we have Tom Simon out of Arkansas. He wears many hats in the wrestling business. And one week from today, we are talking with some wrestling cooks, wrestlers that also do chef and cooking for work. So make sure you're here with us for that. Uh, Coach Mike Jones, do you have some plugs to get out there before we say goodnight? Yeah, you guys can check me out at Coach Mike Jones, the coach with the most. Coach Mike Jones on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Don't forget to check out the Real School Army and the NGW Green Room for hundreds of interviews and celebrities all over the world. And then also the Coach Mike Jones Show podcast every Saturday at noon Pacific, right here on Blog Talk Radio. I also want to thank QT and JD for creating Turnbuckle Turmoil, Sign Guy, and all the fans for all your support and feedback and love. Thank you so much. All right. Well, fans, definitely catch us on all the social medias. Be here with us next week. Get out there, support your local independent wrestling, and we will talk to you very soon. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.